uh, as I said, like I was a massive, massive super fan um, before this, and and uh, like to be a rugby player and to, to be a professional rugby player and play with all these sort of great names, I never would have dreamed I'd do, and and it is truly incredible. I have, do have to pinch myself from time to time, knowing where I am and what I do for a job um, is is a thing of a lot of kids' dreams. So, um, and so. I, like I do make sure I, I try and enjoy it to the full and whether that's training and getting the best out of myself on the pitch or pushing others to be the best they can be or, or off the pitch and making the most of these, of these socials. And, um, because it will never happen again after rugby and, uh, the big bad world is, is so much more, it's so much different to, to, to a bunch of lads in a rugby club. That was Rory McConaughey, I am Curtis Mansfield, and this is the Hips and Is podcast. I'm so excited for today's guest, someone who has competed at the very top of their sport and demonstrated an incredible diversity and talent to do so. We're going to dive in shortly, but first I would like to thank this week's sponsors, which is a company called Aerofit. Aerofit is a breath training device which improves cardiovascular endurance, lung capacity, and reduces stress levels. Now, it's not my place to explain how exactly it works, but the premise is quite simple. Your lungs are a tool for sports performance made of muscles. So why would you not train them? You'd squat, you bench press, you run to train muscles. Why would you not train your lungs? More to come on that in the coming weeks. Um, I have been using the device the last few weeks, and I must say, I really like it so far. I can already feel some benefits, but I'll definitely feedback exactly how I found it in the weeks to come. But back to today's guest, Roy McConaughey joins me remotely from Bath, where he plays his domestic rugby. Roy McConaughey's story is somewhat unconventional from what you'd expect from a standard rugby player. He has played in World Cups in Japan, Olympic Games in Brazil, Commonwealth Games in Australia, and even seven tournaments in South Africa. Roy McConaughey is twice capped England international, having impressed Eddie Jones with his fast feet and incredible speed. His story offers some real hope for younger players who perhaps are late bloomers. Having not been part of an academy set up growing up, um, instead, he would have what we probably consider a fairly conventional early adult life with a gap year and a normal student life for his three year degree at university, long before any notion of professionalism was even muttered. Many things excite me about today's interview with Roy McConaughey, especially the idea of building resilience, preventing injuries, and not only surviving, but thriving in the environment of high-intensity contact sport. And perhaps most interesting of all is understanding how those environments differ uh, between international, club, sevens, fifteens, all aspects of the rugby game. So just before we get Roy McConaughey on, let me just quickly remind you to head over to the social media 
which is on Instagram, which is at hips underscore and underscore dips of a Z. For more details on sponsors, Rory, and all of my guests from this first series of the podcast. And it's also the best place to keep up to date with release dates and those future episodes, which are coming up pretty soon. I'm hoping Rory has finished his training for today. Uh, so let's head over and get him on the podcast and I will see you on the other side. Right, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Yeah, very good, thanks. Not too bad. Nice nice weather at the moment, so I enjoyed the afternoon in the garden. So now, yeah, <laughs> loving it. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, actually, I was sat there at lunchtime today thinking, I'm tempted to just jump in the car, drive down to Bath. I assume you're still based. And uh, there's a little pub right by the wreck called The Boater. I'm sure you've been there a few yep. times. I'm thinking getting that beer garden, a small, couple of small, large ones. And uh <laughs> And great, I great have a good chat. The, the uh, <laughs> lovely weir in the background. See the stands of the wreck. Exactly. I've been gorgeous, but no, we've stuck with the uh, what's become the norm these days, I suppose, like the Zoom, the Zoom call. Um, which hopefully by the time this episode goes out, will be a thing of the past. I'm hoping for, but exactly. uh, but it's still great <laughs> to have these conversations across the country, if not across the uh, across the world. One thing we've got to get out of the way is uh, how do you spell your name? <laughs> so it's it's Rory McConaughey, but it's R U A R I D H. And, and why then, is that? <laughs> uh, because all my family is Scottish, pretty much, and we were brought up until probably I want to say the age that I signed for England sevens, but brought up uh, supporting Scotland and and identifying as sort of Scottish. And uh, so yeah, it was funny. My my dad named me the way he did. And spelt Rory the way it was. Mum wanted Rory, and Dad was like, "That's fine." And I was born around the 1991 World Cup, and at the time, Rory Underwood was like the pin-up poster boy for for English rugby. And yeah. Dad was adamant that he didn't want his didn't want his mates to think he'd named his son after an English winger. <laughs> um, and obviously, if he could only have looked in the future, sort of 26, 27 years down the line, the <laughs> irony of it. That's class. I feel like. Um... A lot of the Celtic nation. So my, my family's Irish. Um, so when I was born, if I was a girl, they were thinking potentially like Siobhan, which has its um, its interesting spellings as well. And I think they do it yeah. on purpose just to annoy the English. So I got Siobhan, <laughs> Rory. And I was actually watching um, some of your highlights earlier on. You know, when people put together these really rogue, like, you know, Rory McConaughey in like two minutes sort of thing. Yeah. And uh like so a lot of the commentators, a lot of them sort of gave up early on. A lot of them just went like, Ruh, and then just did your surname. <laughs> like the earlier clips, and as you're getting along, then you've got the proper God Rory in there, which is great. Um, yeah, I remember getting in my first year in like the sevens, I remember England rugby, like tagging the people, tagging the team sheets and stuff. And like, I think the first two tournaments, they tagged Matthew McConaughey because they had no idea how to spell <laughs> him. And they just saw McConaughey and then a blue tick. And they were like, oh, it must be him. And like, Little did they know, me with my like hundred followers, like nowhere near it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, was, yeah. I wrote your name down quite a few times because I had to like save your number, do the um, the notes ahead of this, or do some various Google searches. And every time I have to double check. And I, I'd like to yeah. think by by now, after like, ten times, I'd know it by now. But every time I literally get R, <laughs> and then I'm yeah. all sorts of bother. It's not even like I get halfway through. I get that yeah, R, yeah. and I'm stuck. So, <laughs> uh, and yeah, and you're right. Actually, I think if you get it, if you get your name like half wrong, 
it defaults to Matthew McConaughey. I've had him come up quite a few times, so yeah. um, so that's not great. But anyway, let, let, let's just sort of crack on, really. So, um, so there's one one place to start, which is where we go. A lot of these episodes really is explore this crazy year we've had with COVID. Um, and I've had loads of guests. I've had people who are say like amateur boxers who've had like tournaments cancelled, and I've had you know cyclists and skiers and all sorts. But I think you're the first sort of person who has like a professional league so we had hockey players who have like a league but it's not quite the same but with you guys you've had this premiership restart and you've had now well season and a half of covid sort of rugby um so describe a bit what it's like sort of going into camp sort of throughout the week having to get tested having to you know not know who's gonna be available for the weekend based on positive negative tests isolation all that sort of weird the life of a professional rugby player in a pandemic? Um, I, I guess now it is, it is normal. Like it feels so normal, but when we, so when we, it was just over a year ago, obviously we went into lockdown. We were off for, I think about 13 weeks um, just at home, uh, just home training. Um, and then when we went back in, back into the club it was so odd like it was we were almost giddy because we could see each other again but it wasn't at the point where we'd still have to be social distance training for the first four weeks so yeah. we're pretty much in doing a bit of handling skills obviously being tested twice a week um the pcr test so it wasn't it wasn't the nice lateral lateral flow it was guys coming in that were qualified testers and shoving it down your throat and <laughs> up your nose there was no yeah no sympathy in it at all um and yeah it was like four weeks we had to do that just literally either just running gym or handling skills that was it like and in groups of six uh for the first two then it was allowed in groups of 12 um and then it was like each week would slowly build up until the eighth week, I think, where we started getting back into proper rugby. And that was only about two weeks before our season recommenced. So we'd, we'd had all these weird, like, we hadn't really trained together as a full, what's our squad, probably 60 people in the squad. We hadn't seen them or seen everyone until two weeks before the game started. And then suddenly you're in the middle of... Uh, that you've got the end of the season and there was nine games to be crammed into the first five weeks, um, which was balmy. Like it was like a first once in a lifetime sort of thing for rugby players. Like it's all about player welfare and stuff um, and talking about at least six day turnarounds and stuff. And suddenly you're playing two nights after playing one game and yeah, you're still focusing on the team that you've just finished and you've, you've got a day basically in camp Um to walk through the moves, uh, learn who you're playing against, let, figure out how you're going to play, and then you're playing straight away. So it, it was really odd, but it was. I, I loved the. I loved that kind of experience where it was kind of just like right, we're just we're digging in for five weeks. Like it's gonna it's gonna go like that. It's gonna be a blur, and it's it's actually gonna be a lot of fun because you're just going to be playing like almost twice a week for five weeks. So you don't have to do the boring parts, which is, which is training. You're actually doing the exciting, you're playing and getting up for games um, once every three or four games, once every three or four days kind of thing. Um, I think, you know, it helped. It helped. We, we were on a roll as a club. Uh, We hit some really good form and really bought into sort of the post lockdown um, feeling around, around the league. And there was pay cuts across the league. There was, 
obviously the fixture schedule where they where they'd gone from we're we're never going to make you play more than three games in ten days or whatever to suddenly we're doing it and um, suck it up and do it. <laughs> There's no other choice. Yeah. Um, and we we just sort of got thought like yeah let, let's do it like proper as I said properly bought into it and it was probably our best run of games that I've like in a good few years and made the semi final for the first time in I think it was five years since 2015. So um, yeah no it, it was it was weird but. I did really enjoy being back in and playing and knowing how lucky we were to still still have jobs, still be doing what we loved, whilst there was obviously still a lot of a lot of trouble going around in in society in terms of people on furlough, people losing jobs. Um and it was just, yeah, incredibly lucky to be able to do what we what we enjoyed doing. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. You said you had that put that great run together as well, which was obviously showed that you were on the teams that really relish that challenge perhaps of playing multiple games and it was this really weird kind of um chess game really between the coaches because you obviously you couldn't play your strongest 15 every game because of the way you're saying you're playing like two three games a week so you end up having like exeter who are like you know the best team in the country putting out their like kids whoever against like on the low, on the rubbish teams or the lower teams, like strongest fifteen and stuff. It was a really weird mix match, but you guys have managed it really well. What was it like playing at the rec? Because I don't know if I told you, but I was a student at Bath um, for about four years. I used to be a steward down at the uh, at the rec and stuff, and um, I was there in twenty fifteen, like you alluded to, where they got to the final with um, that sort of George Ford, Carl Eastman sort of backline and stuff. Um, and the rec was really buzzing. It's one of the best grounds I've been to, and it's all made out of like paper mache essentially like the, whole, yeah. <laughs> the whole ground's like temporary and when it gets rocking it literally is like bouncing like a foot off the ground with the crowd going and stuff what was it like going out and playing there in front of just nothingness and it wasn't even like some of the grounds you look at um so like welford road road's got a lot of like history there around you so although there's no fans you can still feel the atmosphere whereas the wreck is very open and plasticky when there's no one there was it was it really strange going out and playing yeah, it was odd. It was at the start. At the start, I think I actually quite enjoyed it because it was it was new. It was it was something different to the norm. Um, and actually, you could, in terms of rugby, I don't know what it would be like watching on TV, but you could hear, you could hear everything. So you could you could communicate so much better. Like in a, in a crowded stadium on like on a, in a packed out day and like in a big game, it's so hard to hear someone sort of 10 meters away um when you're trying to make a call and actually to be able to be able to comms everything and know that everyone can hear it is actually it was massively beneficial um but no it, it was weird it was uh, i've now i'm at that point now where i'm just like all the fans are 10 times more than me but i'm fed up without any fans like yeah the it's it's actually it's fine playing away from home um because Obviously, they don't have their home, their traditional home advantage, but it is like at home, like you don't get that extra sort of percent that the crowd gives you um, just when, yeah, giving you that momentum swing. And like when when they can feel the momentum swing, they get louder and louder and you build, you feed off it and you get energy off it as a player. Um, so, yeah, you, we, we definitely do miss it. And it's like especially in those big games in the rival in the in the big derbies or or like the close close games against like top of the league like 
that's where you really want your home crowd at its loudest and without yeah. it it does make a big difference yeah i don't know if you've got any uh, elderly relatives but um <laughs> i had to tell my nan to like put it on mute one game because like the language coming from some of those forwards is atrocious <laughs> as my nan would say lovely yeah. lovely looking lads but like like potty mouth sort of thing yeah um, and as someone who's played obviously at the amateur level and stuff, you know there's a bit of that going on. But when you watch it on TV, especially the England games and stuff, you like you don't hear any of the any of the players speaking, and suddenly you just hear like every time Aaron Fowler gets the ball, it's got some sort of like swear word attached to it or something. Yeah. Uh, so I think there's a few uh, concerns, certainly elderly fans <laughs> watching. Um, right. Uh, actually, yeah. One more question. Actually, um, you had uh, obviously that like long period off. Did you have any of the players you turned back, perhaps who didn't follow the uh, strength and conditioning quite as closely as planned? Any uh, there, there were there overweight were a few, candidates? Yeah, I won't name names, but there were a few coming uh, coming back in, and you just looked at them. You're just like, you've you've had a good like off period, haven't you? Right? <laughs> <laughs> they might have hit the gym, but they definitely haven't been doing the running sort of given. Um, and like I. I don't. I, I didn't blame them. Like we we had the time pre, before the game started to to get back into shape. And actually, it's a one off in in a rugby player's career where you've got twelve weeks of no rugby. Like actually, by the end of it, they might have been hating it. But those with families, why not just put your feet up and relax for for a good few weeks? Because you're never going to get that again whilst you're in whilst you're a pro. Just it, it doesn't happen. And like it was yeah. a perfect example at the end of our last season. I think we got two weeks off and then we were back in so um yeah that, I, there was there was no there was no animosity before towards it um because we knew everyone would get back in shape desperately if they wanted to play yeah yeah Simon will get on to later on as well I think the idea of having that extended rest period perhaps could prevent injuries in the long run and maybe extend careers same time as older lads particularly you look at like the Six Nations people like Alan Wynne Jones perhaps we gained a lot perhaps from having that rest rather than where others might have lost fitness and stuff having that rest might be really good for their careers but we'll get on to that later because we're going to play a little ice breaking game which is a little tradition we have on this podcast um yeah which uh, which i think you'll enjoy I wish I'd to a few episodes before this now <laughs> no no it's not uh it's it's completely rogue each week i basically make a little a little quiz to do with my guests like uh sporting background or name or something like that um, trust me, your name wasn't one to make an easy <laughs> pun out of, so it's not one of those. Um, yeah. Uh, but before, I think a build-up to that quiz really will be a little question here. Um, you've played in some of the nicest places in the world, um, especially the Sevens Days. You look at like Rio for the Olympics and uh, well, Australia for the Commonwealth Games. You played in sort of mostly lovely sunny countries with great crowds and great weather and stuff do you ever find yourself at the bottom of a ruck away in sail in like january and the wind's blowing through the stadium and you've got like some like big fat forwards like knee in your face and do you ever think why did i choose this <laughs> yeah definitely um i remember my first season it was a end of november I was still, I, I don't think I'd made sort of, I'd I don't think I'd cracked it into the um, first team by then, but it was, it was away to Newcastle in the Premiership Cup. And I was going out with my, my then housemate, Max Clark, 
and out onto the pitch and it was literally sideways rain um we had a young team they'd gone they'd gone full beam against us and put their first team out and i was just like oh my god what am i doing like i'd be getting on the plane <laughs> to dubai this weekend if I, if I was doing the sevens and go out to sort of high 20 degrees weather and i'm now in sort of two degrees sideways rain um like with about seven thermal layers underneath my top i was like yeah seriously <laughs> i said i have to think twice but i'm uh, i'm glad i made the switch um it's had a yeah good few positives from it so <laughs> <laughs> yeah well yeah for sure we'll get on to that later right so ice breaking game uh i made a little game is called uh, mcconaughey airlines and it's based right. on all these great places you've been around the world uh so i've got 10 places where i believe you played don't quote me on that but these are where either you're either talking olympics commonwealth games um in, like with uh, rugby 15s rugby sevens those sort of areas yep. and i've got 10 famous tourist attractions one from each of those places and i want you to tell me which country not a uh, city which country these things are in sound Done. good okay yeah Right, so first up, uh, Christ the Redeemer statue. Brazil. Brazil, yeah, from the Olympics, of course. Uh, next up, Mount Fiji. Sorry, sorry, Mount Fuji. <laughs> Japan. <laughs> yeah. I, was, I was thinking that, I was like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been far too easy. Yep, correct, Japan. Does it, is any part of you thinking, God, I'd love to be going to the Olympics this year? Yep. Yeah. A big part of me. Um, I admit the, the lead up, I'm sure we'll talk about that, but the lead up to the Olympics last time and, and the event itself was some of the best weeks of my rugby career. And it was, yeah, a lot of friendships made from it. Um, and it's the biggest sporting event in the world. Like why, why wouldn't you want to go? Like sort of thing. Like it's oh, true. Incredible. True. It's going to be awesome. And obviously you yourself have got a taste of Japan from the world cup. So I'm sure you know more than I do what a great place it's going to be to go and play. But right, uh, yeah. moving on, because we're going to keep it on track. I want to get distracted like I normally do. Uh, the Capilano Suspension Bridge. Ooh. Could be Capilano. I'm not sure how you pronounce it. Still doesn't help. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go with Canada. Yes, that's in Vancouver from the US Sevens days. Uh, next up, we have the Super Tree Grove at the Botanical Gardens somewhere. Singapore? Singapore, yep. Another Sevens venue. Uh, next up, we have the Tiantan Buddha or the Tiantan Buddha. Oh, God. I've used my Asian countries up already. Uh, A lot of those sevens are quite close together, aren't they, aren't you? Yeah. Hong Kong. There's Hong Kong, yep. Another sevens, are you correct? Um, I don't know if just because you're on the show, but I've chosen all the ones that are really hard to pronounce. But, uh, <laughs> next up, we've got uh, the Burj Khalifa, or Khalifa. Oh, yeah, Dubai. Yep, correct. Uh, the Kruger National Park. South Africa. Yep, correct. Uh, what about Big Ben? 
<laughs> London, England. <laughs> That's correct. Yeah. Uh, you've played obviously there a few times in different uh, capacities. Uh, what about Lake Taupo? New Zealand. Yes. And then finally, nice and easy, Bondi Beach. Australia. Right. So, yeah, for anyone who didn't really appreciate what I meant about playing the nice places, we had Brazil, Japan, Canada, Singapore, Hong Kong, Dubai, South Africa, New Zealand and Australia. And you gave all that up to go and play in Bristol, Worcester, Sale, <laughs> perhaps, a little, uh, <laughs> perhaps a little European away day in Glasgow or uh, <laughs> Belfast. Or that. But, but yeah, no, I mean, you made the right decision, that's for sure. Um, okay, so um, yeah, let's, let's really look into your, your sort of path into professional rugby, which is one which is, I'd say certainly different to the norm it's not one that's exclusively yours but it's certainly not probably the standard routine um so let's just run through the main events i suppose from when you were you know leaving school to where you are now at bath yep so um i left school at, at 18 normal age um had never at that point had never been involved in any county sides or academy sides it was literally just my school and my local club rugby um, in Cranbrook in Kent um, and I'd managed to get a sort of a gap student job in a school in New Zealand in Tauranga um, in the Bay of Plenty and so I went over there with a mate um, solely <clears throat> to do the job first and then we always said because we both liked rugby we both played it um, we wanted to join a club or like a cult side at some point um, and then just so happened that we we ended up helping out with one of the teachers didn't realize like the head of Maori at the school uh, was a head coach at a local Maori club. And he, he sort of took us along one weekend to help out filling up, filling a team over the summer in the sevens tournament. Um, and then sort of, we went out just to help out and ended up like they realized we, we, we were pretty decent. Um, so ended up staying with that club for the rest of the season Um and sort of absolutely loving it, like properly changed our, definitely our social lives. Like we were pretty, we were pretty, sh not shy, but like we weren't like super confident 18, 19 year olds. Um, so the first sort of couple months, we kept ourselves to ourselves, uh, sort of ventured out, but like weren't the stereotypical gap students where we were out on the piss sort of midweek, every weekend, um, just because we didn't really know that many people. And so joining this club helped massively. Um, and obviously being able to play sort of men, New Zealand men's rugby, like although it was grassroots, it was still a, a very good standard. Like they use their pathways much different to the UK and they actually use their grassroots um, for game time uh, for players to go back and, and play for their local clubs if they're not being picked up by a super rugby side or if they need game time uh, like we had a few guys that had been playing super rugby the previous year and then playing for us that year and so it was a, it was a big eye-opener for me in terms of that step up in standards and obviously going from schoolboy rugby to men's rugby out there um, where you're really the only white guy in the team and so you stick out like a sore thumb 
And in these like pre-season matches, people are properly going for you because you're just this pasty little school kid at fullback. Um, but it was a hell of an experience. Like I still got, still keep in touch with a lot of guys from over there. Um, and it just made my year so much more special uh, being a part of that club than, than it, I'm not saying it wouldn't have been fun, but I, it just it just heightened it. Um, so yeah, came back from there uh, to go to Uni Gloucestershire, um, where I had an awesome sort of four years there, um, de- doing doing my degree, and then at the same time sort of playing a bit for the uni, but for for Nuneaton RFC up the road in in Coventry, uh, just through one of our uni coach was the head coach there as well. Um, like the uni standard itself wasn't the best. Uh, it was def- definitely more, definitely more social, social based club. Um, like we used to get pumped by sort of say Bath uni third team or X to fours like on a regular basis. And that was our first team. So we, we, we definitely weren't the, the greatest uh, rugby standards. I'm pretty sure it's improved since I've left. Um but yeah, love, love my time there. Love my time in Dunedin at the same time, like playing National 3 men's rugby. Um, and then in my last year at uni, I sort of managed to get my foot in the door with Hartbury RFC, uh, which is sort of Hartbury Uni Saturday side in National 1. Um, I managed to do that through playing England students. And in one of the trial games for that, the Hartbury coach was sort of, I think he was head coach of England students south. Um so I managed to get my foot in the door there and do a pre-season um, and ended up playing playing for them in the sort of 20, when would it have been, 2014-15 season um, and sort of establishing myself there as their main fullback. Um, and then sort of halfway through that, I got, got, a, got a trial through with England Sevens. Um, I hadn't really thought anything was going to happen. I, I'd come back from playing for GB Uni Sevens, uh, funny enough, in Brazil and um i thought that it was a cool trip but that it was just a trip like i was going to go yeah. back and sort of finish my degree play for Hartbury, and sort of try and do a but my, my goal at the time was trying to get a get onto a sort of a teaching course through playing rugby at Hartbury and, and go from there um and then obviously simon amor called me and and asked me for like if, if i wanted to come down for a week's camp uh, with the sevens, which obviously I, I jumped at, um, ended up staying for about four to six weeks. Um, and sort of at the end, when was it about March time, uh, they offered me, yeah, they offered me a contract for the next season. So I was going to be finishing my diss in about a month after that, which obviously, uh, didn't have much attention to for the last month, <laughs> probably the main e weeks that I was should should have been going over everything. Um, my thought had my thoughts were kind of on something else, but yeah, I was going to finish that and then join the sevens straight after uni at the end of May, um, and that was the start of of my professional rugby journey from there. Yeah, and it was one which <clears throat> so you had helped you had lots of highlights you. I'd, I mean, from the outside, I imagine Olympics must have been a real highlight of that that sevens time. Yeah, huge. It was, you know, gr- growing up. I don't know how many people have told this story to you now, but like growing up, like honestly, I was I was a massive like rugby super fan, but also I loved the Olympics and loved athletics. So I I always used to watch like my weekends in the summer would always like be watching these 
at the time it was like uh it was the golden league athletics like round europe um these different meeting these different meets and events um and i was just obsessed by like these like the sprinters and, and could name like different world records from different years and where the olympics were held like all the way back to sort of like 1950s and stuff um so to like for rugby itself to be involved in the olympics was so cool when i found that out i think found that and sort of 2012 2011 and then to end up going there and actually being part of that first time that rugby's in olympics was was awesome and then you go get a medal as well and it just kept on sort of topping my expectations of what it would be like and um yeah it, it was an incredible time and it's such a such special memories in my life to to be able to sort of witness the greatest sporting event there is in the world and being in a village with all these superstars and sort of eating three tables away from Usain Bolt or being in a lift with Bradley Wiggins and Andy Murray and stuff like it's it's so cool um like a proper a sports fan's just absolute dream <laughs> well yeah yeah and I suppose because that, that, that was the first year rugby was in the olympics right yeah so that was yeah, being yeah. um yeah not something you probably really planned it's not like you grew up wanting to play rugby in the olympics it was just like a bonus i suppose when it when it came around which is yeah it, which is fantastic. it was kind of the perfect life. <laughs> yeah so if we, if we so if we look at your career in terms of um i said you had that gap year you had you know two different experiences of sort of a uh, university and sort of amateur rugby you had your sevens times, you had the Olympics, Commonwealth Games two years later, um, playing for Bath, going to the World Cup of England, only getting those um, two caps so far. Um, now, if, if I was to compare you to someone of a similar age to you, similar position, say someone like Elliot Daly for England, um, you know, different styles of player, but like kind of similar position-wise and similar ages. So would you, would you, would you trade your, journey for his in terms of you know he had the more conventional route went through the wasp academy uh played for wasps um he has what 50 caps now for england been on the lions tour so like a pretty conventional kind of route in top level of rugby and you've had this completely abstract route but it's been so vast in terms of where it's taken in to have those seven days to have how many people in world rugby could have play in a world cup for england uh go to university play in the sevens win olympic medal does have that sort of breadth of experience would you, would you trade that for the conventional route uh no I, I, people have asked me before and I, I don't think i would i think um i think i enjoy it so much more and and probably appreciate everything that i have now and what i've achieved due to me almost having another life before professional rugby like i was yeah. a young adult i was getting ready for like sort of work in the big bad world. Um, I'd done school without any distractions, just enjoying it for what it was. I did, I did a gap year for doing the exact same thing. I did the uni, not thinking I was going to be a professional rugby player. And it definitely wasn't my goal when I was at uni. And that was me sort of, you know, getting on the piss three or four times a week. Um, like not, not a care in the world sort of thing when you like, you know, how it is at university and just, enjoying it for what it was and so carefree um so now nah, I, I think the fact that i enjoyed all of that so much was because i never thought i'd become a professional rugby player at what 24 years old so um 
no, I, I wouldn't change it. I, I loved, absolutely loved my time in the sevens and I, I still maintain that I don't think there's any other environment like it um, that's so close and so fun but, and like you work so hard together like that you just create this bond that's just like nothing else, I, I, I don't think. Um, so no, de- definitely, definitely wouldn't have. Um, I think uh, even if I hadn't sort of made my England debut in the end and it hadn't worked out with the World Cup, I still still would be very happy with my journey. Well, fantastic, yeah. Um, okay, so let's talk about the World Cup since, it, since it's come up already now. Um, what was it like to get that sort of phone call from Big Eddie Jones? Because, you know, obviously you're tearing up trees in the Premiership, you're having a great time with Bath, but, I mean, from the outside, no one really had your name on their World Cup squad kind of thing um so what was it like what was it like for you when you got that phone call yeah for, well you say from the outside but from the inside as well like I hadn't I didn't have a clue either I, it wasn't definitely wasn't on my plans when I first joined Bath or even a month before I went into camp it wasn't my plans it was literally until that phone like when I got that phone call that was the first time I knew anything about it like I, I'd had murmurs before about uh like having good form and being sort of one of the uncapped players in the barbarians like squad um yeah. as in England squad against the barbarians but that like I didn't hear anything back from that so I was like all right well that's that's that then like it wasn't it wasn't a plan of mine and then yeah getting a phone call getting a missed call from a number I didn't know and then a text from this unknown number saying like it's Eddie give me a call when you can um I had to check it with a guy that was at Mercer that I knew had his number next to me um and when I realized it was his I was like oh fuck no I'm actually gonna have to ring back now and obviously <laughs> like just nerves and like your heart's in your throat sort of thing um and yeah called him he was like complimentary about how how I've been playing and they kept an eye on me um and yeah just get ready for camp in a month's time and sort of just be yourself and enjoy it and so yeah going into camp it was it was all about um making the most of every opportunity that I had and, and enjoying the whole experience because in my head I was like I'm such an outsider here um I could be I knew that each week week in week out there'd be chopping and changing not massive chopping and changing but some people would be let go each week some people would come in the next week um so I was like literally live every week as if as if it's your last in camp um so like get to know people enjoy the social side but also don't leave any stone unturned training wise like whether it's a fitness session or or skill session just keep learning keep trying to be the best out there um and obviously it worked um and yeah like getting on the plane to plane to japan was was pretty awesome and uh, a seriously seriously cool moment i remember obviously there was a few hiccups on the way um but sort of the the moment that i've realized I was in that squad um just made me sort of incredibly proud and of the probably for the first time in in my life probably very proud of myself um and realizing sort of how far I'd come and uh always like before I'd always think like oh no it's just cool it's just lucky and stuff but I was actually like you know I've worked very hard and to be able to to be able to say I'm going to a world cup is something I'd never ever dreamed of um let alone playing for England. So yeah, it was it was a very emotional and, and incredible time. Fantastic. Yeah, and we're going to get on to 
um, the actual more injury side of things soon, which is going to be interesting and, and how you train and why you train a certain way. And those really actually um, very podcast specific questions for anyone where this podcast comes from. But just before that, I do have a few more proper like rugby nausey sort of questions for you. So uh, what was it like day one off that England training camp? So if you turn up, I imagine in my head, you turn up and there's a massive sack full of stash. Is that the case? Because everyone's walking around in so much England stash. <laughs> yeah, your bag, your bags are in the living room, in the living room, in the main area, player area, player team room. Um, and it's got your name on it and stuff, and you saw oh, that. That's pretty cool. Um, I knew we had it. That yeah, that was mine basically, and it had like my initials on on the shirt and stuff. So yeah, it was it was pretty cool, but it was also like a first day at a new school and just so so nerve-wracking um like I'm a I'm I'm a sort of like a quiet guy as it is but in there it was just like I was just sweating heart rate going constantly uh meeting new people uh meeting these guys you've seen play for England for sort of four or five plus years um but knowing that you were there on merit and then you were all there for the same thing which was to go and try and win a world cup sort of thing so um yeah after day one as soon as you get into training that's like you sort of forget about those things and and try and sort of try and focus on the goal was there any i mean you don't have to answer this of course but was there any um perhaps minor sort of animosity from certain players because obviously you, some of those players have been there for uh you know the whole four-year cycle you know people in your position you know like johnny mays edit dailies um you know, Anthony Watson, a teammate of yours and so on, but these boys have kind of been working for this journey for like four years and you just turned up like a few weeks before the World Cup. Was there a little bit of like, oh, who does he think he is? Where's he come from? Or was everyone just really welcoming? No, everyone was really welcoming. Like the, I think the best thing I could have done was when we, so we picked our roommates in that first, in the first eight weeks of camp, we picked our roommate every week. Um, I think it was first day, maybe six weeks. But the best thing I did was go with, I was literally walking towards uh, the, yeah, walking towards the table with the keys on and just chatting to different people before I'd even thought about picking roommates. Um, and I was walking next to Mike Brown and started chatting to him a bit because um, we played against each other in, in the year a couple of times. And like, I remember after, after one of my games, he'd like come up and said like, he thought I'd done really well that year. And so we, he just said, you want a room together? I was like, yeah, sweet. And I think that was the best possible thing I could have do, could have done because I'd never met him. It was completely out of my comfort zone, but I was rooming with this, I think he's got maybe 70 or 80, 80 old cats for England. I don't know, but like a seriously experienced fullback who'd been at the top of his game for the last few years and like a hell of a player, like still is a seriously good player. Um, but also I knew how like how uber competitive he was and I was like well if I'm like going to room with someone that's going to put me a bit out of my comfort zone because I know how com- confrontational he is on the pitch like this will be is actually perfect like however, <laughs> however awkward it might make me feel at the time but actually we got along really well um, and he was like really nice bloke really quiet like spoke to me about like just what happens in camp and sort of showed me showed me around and stuff and uh like if anyone was gonna show animosity it was it was probably 
more likely to be him or one of the other guys from the other clubs than anyone in my club because we're in the same position, what's well, back three sort of thing. Um, but you quickly realise that everyone's there again for the same reason. Like we all want to make the plane, but you can't you can't sort of build not hatred. You can't uh, have sort of position hate against anyone because it just it become toxic. And if anything, that's the reason why you shouldn't be on the pit. Why you shouldn't be in the team. Yeah, that's true. Um, and then what's it like post World Cup? So you've just spent that sort of what eight eight weeks together, well more than that, I suppose, of the training camps as well. You spent that sort of. Well, two, three it's months. About five, five and a half months. Well, there you go. Yes, yeah. so you spend that time so intensely together. You know, you build this sort of band of brothers, so to speak, and then you go back to your own clubs and you play that first game back. And um, you know, you're playing. Let's say you're playing against Saracens, for example. Uh, so there's a whole bunch of those England boys there. Like, what's it like to then play against your sort of now best friends kind of thing? Yeah, it's weird. It was the first experience I'd had of that. Um, and it was weird, but you you quickly realise, like, you can't... <laughs> there's no there's no room for joking around, like, in pitch or or thinking they're going to go all right, go easy on you or whatever. Like, you're both still going out there to belt each other and to try and get one over uh, the other. So, no, it, it, it was odd. It was, it was more tough, I think, just coming out of that sort of five-and-a-half-month England bubble and then going back into Prem which is week in week out and just trying to adjust like that so it's almost been five and a half six months of summer and then coming back into wet windy English winter and Friday night games and it was just yeah that that was the biggest experience that was the biggest wake-up call for me knowing um post-international sort of camp uh feelings um and it definitely took me a few months to adjust and get back into the swing of things yeah, yeah. It's, I think from the outside as well, it's quite strange when you see like like two two players on the pitch who, as you said, they've been like teammates for ages, particularly over some of the England boys. They've been teammates for like 100 caps or whatever. And then you see one of them just put like a massive late hit on the other one or like it's a ruck. It's like a massive clear out with like your shoulder to head or a bit of afters or whatever. And you go, how does that work? You're like, you've been best friends for like six months. Yeah. Never, like I was chain rumours each other. And you're going off and doing all those yeah. late hits. It always happens. Like you, you see at the weekend, like Genji's really good mates with Ant and JJ. Um, and like the amount of times he's flown out the line uh, and gone, he's put in a hell of a, like two shots on Ant. And I was like, oh God. Um, but yeah, if anything, it's probably makes you want to go after them more just to get a one up so you can tell them about <laughs> it afterwards. Yeah. There's that really famous one, isn't there? With, um, James Haskell and was it Joe Marler when he's got him like yeah. in the, uh, yeah, in the yeah. stranglehold, which is like fantastic. Once again, like two like best mates probably off the pitch. Uh, exactly. And then like on the pitch, you see, you see red in his proper. I can't imagine saying that. Actually, I can't imagine actually. Been a few nights out with some lads when halfway through the night you're like strangling each other in a punch up. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so I can see paradox for sure. There's only alcohol involved there, but we won't go into that. Right. So, so, so yeah, let's let's move on now to the slightly more nitty gritty side of this this sort of podcast and the whole the whole scope of this is about injuries it's about in my case hip injuries overcoming injuries and adversity etc um which is really fitting for you because you're another man with a hip injury so that's that's perfect really so you in that world cup squad you got selected a bit of a bolter no one really seen it coming um 
went to this sort of the extended squad anyway. Then you had those warm up games. Was it Wales, Italy, and Wales? Was it? Is that correct? Or Wales, Ireland? Uh, it was Wales tw- home and away. Wales home and away, and then Ireland at home, and then Italy at home. Italy, but in, yeah. You so you went into that first. You're selected, I think, on the wing for that first uh, Wales game. Uh, you had to withdraw due to a hip injury. Um, and then I think the same thing a week later, you were put in the squad I mean, again to start and then you had to pull out due to due to injury, which obviously was quite big news because you were this fairly unknown quantity, which everyone couldn't wait to see sort of sort of why Eddie Jones has selected you, what you're going to bring to England camp, etc. And then obviously both times you had to pull out. Um, so first of all, explain more about sort of the nature of that injury and then kind of was it your decision to pull out or were you just pulled out by the medical team and what that was like for you psychologically to get so close to that England pitch and then have to uh, step away? Yeah, so it was, as you said, it was a, it was the first two games and sort of two, two weird, weird emotional weeks in my life um, and actually two different injuries. So the first... The first one we'd we'd pretty much named the squad, but it hadn't been officially named. But we knew we all knew where we were going to play. Um, <clears throat> so I was due to start against Wales at Twickenham in the white kit, which was like there's not many games that you want to make your debut as um, against. Um, and so we'd done all the training in the week. Um, Eddie had sort of given me like a hint that I was going to be in it, and then all like the team that trained as England, I was in that on the wing. Um, and we'd finished the, the main rugby session or like the second rugby session. Um, went to the gym that afternoon, did the gym, like these exercises that we'd done for the last eight weeks leading up to that. Um, and I'm at the bottom of this sort of reverse lunge, like heavy weighted lunge. Um, again, like we'd done it all the time like if anything had gone heavier in in some of the weeks leading up to that um and just at the bottom of this lunge i just feel these two big pops in my in my hip at the front of my like sort of hip flexor and i'm immediately i'm like no 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 and people that are next to me immediately like took the bar like put it back on the rack and i've sort of just i'm like stood there i'm like something's not right um and it wasn't massively painful struck right at the time but I knew like it was just immediately went hot I like I went over to the mat saw the physio and it had basically been just a a big big fascial tear uh, in my hip flexor um so it wasn't like a huge like I I thought when I initially done it I thought like that's it it's off the bone sort of thing like like the the weird feeling of that that pop and the tearing like I'd never experienced before Mm. Uh, and I was like, this must be what it feels like. Um, and so I got it scanned and got it back and it was, yeah, this, this sort of long tear down, down, uh, my hip flexor going sort of North to South. And yeah, it was, it was one of those moments where I was like, I was so gutted, um, because I'd been building up for this debut, um, and now that obviously it wasn't going to happen, but I was still sort of three days out and I was like, you know what? Like I can't change anything. Like I knew we had the Wales game on the Sunday, England selection for the world cup was on the Monday. And I was like, I can't like, I can't 
honestly say I've given like I could give it any more for this so what will be will be and I, w- I was I was really down um but it was in my head it wasn't the end of the world because I was I was I was more than happy with everything I'd given so far and if if my selection was based on whether I was or wasn't fit for this one game then I can't do anything about that um yeah so we went into the next week obviously the Monday the squad gets announced we get put in a whatsapp group i'm obviously over the moon like thinking like like obviously i've missed the debut i'm probably not going to get picked for it and then i get picked for this world cup squad and i was just like this is incredible um and like that the feeling of that like knowing that i was on the group was just like like second to none i can't, can't really explain it um and then so all, all of that euphoria, the few days around that, um, we go to Bristol where we do the sort of the press conference and then we go to a like an O2 event, uh, which is, <clears throat> yeah, all about basically unveiling the England team and stuff. It's packed out place on, on Bristol Harbour, like Marina front. And then going to that week's training ready for the Wales game, um, I was back. I was fine. Like it was literally a four day injury, but it was going to be too soon for my, for, for my debut at Twickenham. So we're back in going to play Wales at the Millennium Stadium. Um, again, like actually, if you, if you look, look for sort of incredible debuts to make playing Wales at Twickenham is good, but like actually in terms of atmosphere playing Wales under the closed roof at the Millennium Stadium, like I don't oh, know. Yeah, any. Yeah no better atmosphere in world rugby. So I can testify to oh, that. Yeah. <laughs> I was there for, um, Ireland versus Argentina at the last world cup, 2015 and the quarterfinal, which was electric. Obviously Ireland lost in the end. Um, I was there for Ireland Wales as well. One year. Best, yeah. best crowd for noise and atmosphere, but and like sort of weird sort of friendly animosity which you don't get a lot of places but yeah like awesome atmosphere and it's weird as well on a complete side note here but you can't actually see much of the pitch it's actually a really poorly built stadium because if you're in the bottom yeah. tier you can't see if the ball goes above head height which like <laughs> in the six nations unfortunately loads of time spent with the ball in head height so the ball just goes up into the air you don't see it for like four seconds <laughs> it lands somewhere on the pitch it's a it's a nightmare but um, but yeah, class, class atmosphere there. I'd imagine yeah. that would be, if you could choose anywhere in the world to make a debut, I think you're right. That'd be the place to choose. Yeah. So it was, yeah, it was all pinned on that. I, I, I was back fit and, um, Eddie had said like, don't worry, you like, you're going to be good for this week. Like you, you, you'll be in. And I'm like, sweet. Like, that's good. Like good, like a good confidence booster. Um, uh, I trained really well, had, got to the captain's run, announced the team, gave our shirts, um, sort of had like my first cap shirt in my hands, like the white England white shirt, white Canterbury top, uh, Rory McConaughey first cap sort of written across the bottom of it um, and went out to captain's run, got through that, like again, felt really like, just felt full of energy, felt really good, um, was making sort of good defensive reads in the, in the, in the training, in, in, like we go in England, you go quite, quite hard in captain's run. It's quite fast. Um, but yeah, I felt really confident. And then we split to units, do some strike plays. The last second, last strike we run is just a scrum strike. I was on the right wing and all I do is sort of follow 10 and pop up on his shoulder and sort of 
aim to burst through a gap and stuff. And um, literally, as I'm as I'm pushing off to to chase uh, George Ford, um, I've just come around the corner. I just feel this tiny little pinch in my in my hammy, um, and I almost it was kind of like a surreal sort of out of body experience. I was like, nah, I've literally just imagined that like that. That's just me thinking the worst in my head. Like it can't like surely it can't happen. Like not not twice in two weeks. Like I'm I've been fit all season. What's what's going on? And then I sort of like jog back, don't feel anything, go to do this next move, run off it again. And then I, I just know straight away I was like, I've, I've definitely torn my hammy. Um and I just stop. <clears throat> uh we sort of come in as a huddle and I haven't said anything. I'm just sort of like staring into nothing, just overthinking everything in my head. Um, and like, I think 40 or Faz are talking and like, I just like completely zone out and I'm like looking for the physio, waving for the physio. Uh, I can't remember who's next, maybe Elliot's next to me and something sort of looking like, is everything all right? Um, <clears throat> finish the chat, walk over to the physio. And like, as soon as I do the ham, like hamstring bridge test, like, you know, if it's, if it's gone, it's gone. Like not fully gone, but if you know, you've torn it um, because you just feel the pain on, on the bridge. And yeah. So it was just like, my mind was like, it was like all fuzzy almost. Um, couldn't really think straight. And I was walking over to like the corner of the pitch with the physio and he was just sort of like half consoling me, half not saying anything because it's almost like, what do you say? Like, He's, he's built up for this moment and it's happened again. And I sit down, <clears throat> sit down on the benches at the end. A few guys come over to me. Uh, and one of the boys, Manu, comes to me and sort of like looks at me and like just gives me a hug. And I just, I just burst out crying, like just all this emotion that's built up over the last two weeks. Um, and then obviously to get injured, to make the squad, but then to get injured again on literally all I had to do was if I'd missed that, um, missed the jump on that move and just jogged and asked to do it again, it might not have happened. Um, and it's just all of that stuff that goes through your mind. Um, and yeah, that it had happened again. And I was like, I was like, it's just not going to happen for me. Like they're probably going to say like, he's too injury prone, get someone else in. Um, and so, yeah, that, that was the darkest time. I think those next sort of 24, 48 hours, that was the worst time for me. Um, I remember, I think I was on group chats and stuff and everyone was still like saying like, good luck in the game. Like, hope it goes well. Like your first calf, incredible. I'm still getting these messages through like a few hours after I've done my injury, they, knowing that they don't know that I'm injured, but I'm just not replying. I'm just leaving my phone there for like, I think I switched up to, or deleted the WhatsApp app for like 24 hours. Um, Cause I just couldn't cope with it all. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a, it was a dark old sort of 24, 48 hours. And, like it's weird looking back or, or like bigger picture, like considering for what I'd achieved and what I was doing with my life. Like it's, it shouldn't be that big a thing to get so depressed about, or I say depressed, so down about it. Um, but it was just, it meant so much in it. It was just all the pressures building up to it. I think just completely got to me and it all came out on that, on that pitch side after I'd done it. <clears throat> yeah. I wouldn't have expected a Tuilangi to be the shoulder to cry on, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it would have been top of the list, but no, that's good to know. Um, are those uh, are those WhatsApp groups um, savage? Is it like if you're not in the squad this week, or if you're not in the 
not selected for the autumn test, so you just discarded straight away, deleted from the group. Yeah, so there'll just be a new group made, and you won't be in it, so you'll you'll never know. But you're just not. Yeah, you're just not in the new group, basically. But it is sometimes it can be like that if it's the week to week groups in camp, and they've got one WhatsApp group for the two weeks, and someone doesn't come back in after the first, you'll just see blah blah left the group or blah blah was was removed. <laughs> wow! So imagine like someone like Mike Brown or like Chris Rogers or someone like that who like um, like yeah, just they'll remove from the group after so long. That's like actually savage. Yeah, Mike Brown yeah, yeah. the group. That's horrible, right? Um, okay, so, so yeah, those, those obviously two, particularly not like bad in terms of long term um, recovery and stuff, but bad in terms of the effect it had on that part of your career. But yeah, I think any any rugby player is very lucky to get away with no injuries in their in their time. But yours sounds to have been relatively good so far in terms on the injury front. Um, but you, I'm, I'm sure you're never at like a hundred percent fitness. So how do you kind of judge what injuries need rest and what injuries you can work through? And is that is that down to you, or is that just down to the to the medical team, really? Um, it's it's mixed. It's it's definitely at the end of the day, it is down to you. Like you're you're the player, but at the same time, you build up, and I think it's really important for players to do this: build up a relationship at least with one of the medical staff or physios um but, but it's good to just build that trust between each other to know they know you and how you respond to different things and when when you are injured enough to not be able to play and when actually you're carrying something but you can manage it and you can you can perform even if you're performing sort of 80 90 percent is that better than the next option which is for you not to play and then to bring someone else in um so I, th- I think it's important just that relationship between you and 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 the physios um, and and the doctors, like any of the medical staff. To be fair, um, but at the end of the day, you know in yourself if it's if it's not good, it's not good. Yeah, but so say you've got like a little, you know, a little bit of minor knee pain, it doesn't feel quite right, but you can certainly still run on it, and you feel you're fine to play. But long term, there might be a an issue later down the line. Um, are you ever tempted just to sort of keep that to yourself and not not let some people some will yeah so, some will um i i'm always sort of on the of the opinion like i want to get the best out of myself and have the longest career i i can because i know how quickly it can end so um i i, I feel like i'm pretty honest with them if if I feel like my knees swelling up and I, I, I had this conversation my last season with the sevens, it was, we'd just come back from the Commonwealth games in Singapore um, back in. And it was sort of like five weeks till London and Paris and 10 weeks till the sevens rugby world cup, which was going to be my last tournament for England for the sevens uh, before moving to 15s. And I, I'd had a, my knee had been causing me a bit of jet, like, I was getting like catching in it. It was swelling after tournaments. It was just taking a while. It felt full at the back and like it was locking out. And in my head, like I, I remember sort of being on a call with, with my physio, my head coach. Head coach obviously wants his players to play. And he was thinking if he has this, if he has an op or if he has something done to it, he might not be able to play London, Paris or the World Cup. 
and that's the last he's done with the sevens. Um, and I, I had to sort of have that in my mind, I was quite uncomfortable saying it, but I had to be honest and say, look, I don't think I can manage this and be at my best for the next sort of two to three months. Um, I'd rather get the op now and sort of have that race against time to get back fit for the world cup. So I do have that last sort of that last hurrah and last tournament for England um, rather than sort of play through pain just to get an op in 12 weeks time when I join Bath and be out for another 12 weeks after that. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah, I had to have that uncomfortable conversation then, which, which I did and I got the op made it back for the, for the tournament just before the world cup. So to force my selection and yeah, went to the world cup, we end up getting to the final of that. So it was at the end of the day, like that worked out for me, but it, if I'd had sort of a slip up in one week, I might not have made it sort of thing. So um, yeah, it was, it was tight, but I was glad. I was glad I did go, uh, went and got it done. Well, yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think um, a real theme of this podcast and not, guests have said is that idea that like prevention's better than treatment more often than not yeah. so as a as a pro rugby player how do you how do you train to avoid injuries um where you can obviously you can't you can't exclude the risk of injuries but how do you keep your body in a state that your those injuries are less likely i think it's i think in terms of training i think you've just got to trust what what they put on for you like it's not it's it's definitely not as simple as a coach putting a rugby session together and us doing it and that's it like the work they do behind the scenes with the snc guys with the physios who's carrying any niggles who's um may need to be monitored because they've done a lot of running load in the last few weeks how much distance should we be covering in sessions like it's all down done to a t um so yeah you've just got to trust that the coaches like are going to put on the right session for you and everything around that I I think it's not about how we train it's just how we recover and how we prep for training um is how how to avoid injuries um I think obviously some people are very lucky and will go through their whole career without any major injury uh some people are just their bodies aren't made out, aren't cut out for professional sport, however much work they do and however diligent they are. I've, I've seen some, some teammates that have just been so unlucky with the injuries they've had just time after time after time, they can do however much rehab, however much prehab on it and making sure they're strong. And it's probably getting better. Like say if it's a hamstring, it's getting stronger scores than other people in the team, but they'll do the hammy again because they're just yeah they're just predisposed to those kind of injuries um yeah. so I, I just think it's it's controlling as as much as you can um in in the lead up to uh, in the lead up to training and straight after training in terms of that recovery yeah and on, and on the subject of that are you are you like a bit of a do you like to know what's going on and how you train do you like to know sort of why you train this way why you eat this way or are you very much uh tell me what to do and i'll do it with the uh, bar set up uh, no, I, I do. I do like to ask questions. Um, I find understanding stuff, especially when I'm injured, I, I find understanding the injury much easier for my mind to work out what goals I need to hit and, and why I'm doing certain things. Um, 
but it yeah I, I think a few people would rather just be told this is what we're doing now do it and they go yeah all right then um but no i'd i'd much rather i'd much rather ask those questions when i can yeah 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 good um i think i'm i'm the same but so at, at your at your level of sort of pro sport it can be very easy just to be like right just do whatever you're told to do which can be dangerous at times as well because opinions change and coaches have different opinions and nutritionists have different opinions so if you just go along with the flow you might find you get slightly off off track in some ways um okay so let's go for some sort of sort of quick sort of quick questions really um how does that training differ between a sevens team and a 15s team um much more running in the sevens uh much more high speed high speed meters done um and because of the injury rate in sevens uh there's a lot of work done on robustness um and so yeah li- literally uh, a lot of our gym sessions first half of the gym sessions are all spent on robustness around our joints and our body and making us sort of uh yeah as as far away from i'm trying to think of the wording basically just to help us not get injured <laughs> um yeah. and then yeah uh these yeah the, the in the trainings it's just a lot of ball and play time uh you, you you're getting so many more contacts than you would be in 15s um obviously as a winger um and it's much more fatiguing <laughs> Yeah, no, I think sevens is brutal. You have to be a certain type of player to sort of do sevens. Um, and I certainly wasn't one of those. Um, and then in terms, yeah, I mean, you sort of lose it to there really, but that that divide between skill time and fitness time, um, let's look now at the 15s game, for example. Do you find it's pretty even split between time spent, ball in hand, time spent, sort of gym fitness side, or is it nowadays quite heavily pushed towards that? S&C side of the sport? No, I think, you know, our, our gym sessions are probably 45 minutes, um, whilst a good rugby session will be 80 minutes. So, um, yeah, it's definitely still more rugby focused. Like the gym is, as everyone's getting bigger and stronger, more powerful, like you can't slip up on that. You've got to, you've got to keep it up. And and the gym is, as I've said, it it is more of a tool for prehab and preventing injuries than it is for actually getting massive um so yeah you've you've got to take it put in like seriously and then but like rugby wise there's still a lot of time spent concentrating on the skill base part and sort of getting better as a team yeah and you said earlier you were a bit shy perhaps when you first went over to to new zealand in terms of how you you pay run team stuff now that you're quite an experienced pro are you a different character around the team or are you still that, that shy lad in the background? Uh, no, I'm definitely more comfortable in my environment the longer I'm in. Um, I think, yeah, it's just, it, it's just part of my nature. If it's, if it's a new environment, then I will just keep, keep quiet and uh, sort of observe rather than sort of have much of an input. Um, but the more sort of knowledge I, I gain around the game and around how I feel and more comfortable I feel, in my own confidence and knowing what I feel needs to be improved and what we need to improve, then, then yeah, I'll I'll start to have much more of an impact input. Yeah. Right. So give me, firstly, give me two highlights 
just two from your your career so far um, and I'm thinking like specific moments that you thought were like like amazing not like not like seasons or or tournaments just specific moments um the series of nights after winning olympic silver medal the yeah. five nights after that where we were still in rio um was almost just sort of all mashed into one and just sort of one big euphoric moment of uh yeah like knowing we'd we'd won a olympic medal and we're just on top of the world really um like god someone might have died with one gold but yeah it was it was awesome <laughs> um yeah it was a hell of a hell of a few nights and then i guess another one definitely whilst i was still in pro rugby was um having my family uh, with me when I got presented my first cap for for England up in St James's Park in Newcastle. All right, yeah, I've, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, it wasn't even your, uh, it wasn't even at the old Twickenham and stuff. Yeah, which is which must have been must have been strange. Um, okay, and then so we spoke a lot about your past and your journey to this point, but what's your ambition now for the rest of your career in rugby? It's a weird one. It's, it's, I used to probably judge myself, especially having missed out on England for the first time. Um, probably it was like judging myself and trying to desperately get back into that England squad. But actually now it's more, it's how can I sort of, I guess it's kind of like leaving a legacy. Like what, what do I want to, what do I want people to think of? when my name gets mentioned sort of thing is in rugby. Um, and I'm not, not about, uh, people outside, um, of the game or like random, random fans. It's more about the people that I've worked with and played alongside. Like, how do I want them to feel when sort of my name gets brought up in, in years to come? Yeah. Are you still in regular conversation with Eddie Jones? Uh, no, not at the moment. Um, had a bit over last summer, but not since then, really. No, oh, yeah. Well, you're doing the right thing. Just focus on, they said, focus on your your club career. If you do well for Bath and Bath do well, then I'm sure it'll be long till we see you back in the England jersey. Um, okay, so before we get on to this interesting little conclusion we have, uh, do you let's let everyone know your sort of social medias and stuff or how people can follow you for more information? Um. I'm on Instagram and Twitter. Um, it's literally just my name, Rory, and then MCC. Uh, I'm not. I'm not sure they'll find it enthralling or <laughs> incredible content to follow. But yeah, hey, any odd follower. <laughs> so so, so, uh, so that's spell R O R. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, no, yeah. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I'll, I'll tag you obviously in the in my Instagram page and stuff, so uh, people can find you through that. Um, okay, so yeah, to finish then, let's go with this new segment we've had the last few weeks, which has been, um, I think, quite a nice, a nice addition, really, which is three life lessons from you and your career that you can impart to all us listening at home. Um, I did think about this earlier and still only came up with two, but I think I'm the third. I think first one was... 
um, as much as you can try and stay in the present and try and stay in the now. Um, I found myself at times overthinking of what I could have done differently or what will happen if I do this um, and so on and so forth. And it just takes could take the enjoyment out of what I'm doing right now, which is beyond what I thought I'd ever do, which was be a professional rugby player and was my dream. So just enjoy every moment that you can. Um, second one was, um, might be a bit cliche, but like, just don't forget where you came from. Um, I, I still have WhatsApp groups with guys from school. I have one from with the lads at uni sort of over 20 people in it and I still love keeping in touch with them and sort of they're still my closest mates uh those guys from school at uni however many good mates I've met in rugby um you know they're they're the guys that I was I was closest to and had the most fun with sort of going out together being lectures whatever spending all your time together um you know that they've been there sort of since day one um before I was a professional so yeah it's de that's definitely another one um and the third one i think this i think the third one for me i've said it before but like as soon as you stop enjoying it then then stop like i do uh, as i said like i was a massive massive super fan um before this and and uh, like to be a rugby player and to to be a professional rugby player and play with all these sort of great names I never would have dreamed I'd do and, and it is truly incredible I have, do have to pinch myself from time to time knowing where I am and what I do for a job um, is is a thing of a lot of kids dreams so um, and so I, like I do make sure I, I try and enjoy it to the full and whether that's training and getting the best out of myself on the pitch or pushing others to be the best they can be or or off the pitch and making the most of these of these socials and um, because it will never happen again after rugby and uh, the big bad world is is so much more it's so much different to 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 a bunch of lads in a rugby club. Yeah, yeah, you just got to make the most of every every moment you have really living the dream. But um, I'm sure from the inside it's much harder than it looks from the outside. So I know it's a lot of hard work to get to where you are, but. But yeah, you've got to relish that, I suppose. Right, so all I can do is just say thanks so much for joining me. Um, I think Not the so. listeners are going uh, to love what you told us there, particularly at the end there, I think really good words. So just thanks a lot and good luck for the rest of the season. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be on. What a top lad. Just want to extend my appreciation to Rory for finding the time to talk to me today. If in 2019, pre-pandemic, pre-podcast, you had told me while I was sat there watching England play in a World Cup semi-final that in two years' time, I would be sat in my bedroom talking to current England international Rory McConaughey um, via the means of a video conferencing app called Zoom, I would have said, uh, you're crazy. But, I mean, it's been a strange kind of year, hasn't it? With a number of England lads involved in the upcoming Lions Tour to South Africa, I'm sure there'll be opportunities potentially for Rory to impress once again on international stage. And hopefully, the way things are going, there'll be some form of crowd to cheer him on. 
Remember to check out Rory on social media. All the links will be included in the show notes um, and also head over to at hips underscore and underscore dips on Instagram uh, for more details not only on Rory, but all of those guests. And as always, please remember to subscribe and follow and like in all the usual ways. My concluding remarks for this week uh, centre around the recruitment of knowledge. Uh, the world is currently in quite a contentious place, not only due to the pandemic, but now due to continued and pre-existing struggles for power and possession of land. On a slightly different note, actually, the BBC have started a new promotion talking about how the world would be different in 2050, um, especially from, from my point of view in terms of the world of sports. And they've spoke about sort of weather affecting golf and uh, certain tournaments would be cancelled due to high temperatures, flooding and, and so on. Um, I think it's quite important that as a generation, we become more informed about the damage we are doing uh, to humans, to the environment, to animals, as a result of our quite destructive behaviour. Now, I believe you should be able to eat how you want to eat and travel the way you wish to travel and spend money in the way you wish to spend money. But I think you should, be, you should educate yourself to a point that you can make distinctive decisions um, which can be carefully evaluated and not just based on past decisions or decisions of your peers. A couple of really exciting episodes to come in the next couple of weeks as this series draws to an end. Um, so I look forward to seeing you all very soon. But for now, remember, stay grateful, stay informed, and as always, most importantly, stay safe.